Hello, and welcome back to the Movie Down Low with Big J. And QC. This week we are talking about uh, the 75 top greatest horror films of all time. Um, we will be discussing uh, movies between number 20 and number 75 um, in no particular order. Uh, we are going to be um, giving some of our feedback and uh, critiques. And analysis. And analysis. There may be some language as QC likes to go off on a tangent. Oh my gosh. So there could be some language. So viewer discretion is advised. And please note, we may spoil things because we'll be discussing these films uh, at as length. We, well, as we watch them too. No. <laughs> well, I've seen all the films. Big J hasn't. I like calm, quiet, beautiful films. Well, this, this was a... It wasn't calm or quiet, actually. Um, there are some horror films that are plenty calm and quiet and beautiful films. And Hereditary is not one. And you're not supposed to spoil it. Yet. It's gonna put you on the edge of your seat. Or maybe not, actually, if you're depending on the audience. And thanks for spoiling it, Big J. How did I spoil it? We're supposed to announce we're gonna be doing 64 today. We're doing number 64 today. <laughs> and what is number 64? Number 64 is Hereditary. Why oh, did we choose Hereditary? Well, we'll discuss that in a minute, but first things first, I think we're going to need a synopsis of the film. No. And no, no synopsis. We're just going to... No. T- no. <laughs> Assuming that you haven't watched it. Um, so, <laughs> the synopsis of the film is, uh, is a grandmother uh, that passes away... Um, and, uh, just her connection with her family and, um, the way that has an effect on each one of their lives and, um, the, the way that the, the family interacts, um, post death of the grandmother and, um, I don't know, fill in. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's basically about, it's about tragedy and family death. Um, so the reason, I, I almost didn't put a hereditary on the list because we just saw it recently. Really, yeah. it just came out the 8th and actually it really came out the 7th. Someone explained to me why it comes out Friday, June 8th. Well, we all know it comes out Thursday so we can <laughs> see it on Thursday night. It doesn't even come out at midnight. It comes out at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Well, we I went and watched on the release it. night. We watched on release night. So I wanted to see it. Um, it was a big hit at Sundance. It was acquired by the hot new indie horror films, you know, indie studio, but definitely they've been releasing all the new horror films, A24. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have, they're, they're the new thing right now. They are the new thing. So give us a little history on this filmmaker. So the film is written and directed by Ari Aster and he had, this is his debut feature film. Uh, he had done some, from what I have heard, heavy, psychodramatic, melodramatic short films, which I have not seen. I'm not a huge fan of short films, FYI. I've seen a few, and they're fine. I just don't... I don't get lost or transported, usually, like I do a feature film. But it's a great way for a filmmaker to start and get their films out there for people to see, so... Um, and this is definitely in the same vein of what he previously did, other than it's horror... But, I mean, this is definitely a psycho family drama, an intense, heightened one at that. 
Um, so it was a big hit at Sundance. It was acquired for $10 million. I think the budget's $10 million as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, did really well. It's one of the big hits. And they have been ramping up the marketing for this film ever since. I mean, there are trailers. They're saying it's the scariest film you've seen since The Exorcist. It's, it's our new next generation's Exorcist. And I think that is does the film a disservice. Um, one of the reasons I want to talk about Hereditary and a lot of the new great horror films that have been coming out recently is there seems to be a disconnect to what critics think and what audience think. The divisiveness. And this is one of those films. Uh, it has a 92% or 93% of Rotten Tomatoes. You may have to verify without when really quick because I'm sure it's changed. Usually films change. Last four days ago it had 93 but I think it dropped to 92. And so it's critically but it's good again that's critically acclaimed um, and that's definitely a great thing for a horror film. You know horror films generally speaking don't hit that 92%. Um, it also has a 70 a 87 on Metacritic. Oh it's at 90 I'm sorry it's at 90 right now. So it's dropped a little bit, but still, that's Certified Fresh. Um, it is a really high at Metacritic. Uh, it's at an 87 or an 86. Yeah, 87 for a Metascore, um, which signifies universal acclaim. And on IMDb, it has 7.7. .7. But if you go to the Rotten Tomato audience review, it got a 57% of audience liked it, which is a huge, you know, difference between film critics and audience. And it got a D plus from CinemaScore, which I think most films should write like a badge of honor. I would, eventually we are actually gonna do uh, a film series group podcast on all, all uh, films that got an F from CinemaScore. And actually one of the horror movies on this list has an F on it. So I'm really excited to talk about that because I love when movies get an F. So immediately that says, I need to go see it. Because why do general audience hate it so much? D-plus is still pretty bad. And it kind of follows in vain with The Witch and It, um, it Comes at Night, which also got very low cinema scores. C-minus for The Witch and a D-minus for It Comes at Night. Um, this one, D-plus, so it's kind of in the middle of the two of them. So I want to know why you think these films don't connect with modern mainstream audiences. Since you have seen the... You've seen... The Witch, It Follows, and this one, and The Babadook. Um, why does this one not follow the audience? Why do, you, why do, you, why do you think mainstream audiences did not like it or understand it, or maybe they just thought it was trash and stupid? Um, I don't think that anybody thinks that it's trash, but I think that they come and expect something different. Um, you know, they, they, I do believe that the... Um, the previews led you to believe that it was going to be a different film than it actually ended up being. Um, so I do believe that people maybe came and uh, got a different uh, got a different theme than what they were expecting. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the trailer does a good job of making sure that the film is spoiled in the trailer. And that's really hard for horror movies because horror movies love to spoil films. If you ever... ever one of the worst examples is Sony. They're a terrible company when it comes to that. And there was a movie called Quarantine where they actually give away the very last shot of the film in the trailer and the poster. <laughs> it like ruins it because you know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the end of the film and you realize, um, hey, she hasn't been drug away yet. Oh, 
that's the end of the movie. What, it ruins that surprise. The movie does, this movie does not do that. I do agree. I think people were expecting more of a conjuring, more of a, you know, a ghost story with a lot of boos and gotchas. And what they got was an incredibly intense, dark, depressing, melodramatic horror film about family and motherhood and, um, you know, psycho therapeutic issues and, you know, are those, if your family does have issues, you know, has been institutionalized or maybe psychopathic or any type of mental issues, does that carry on? Is that hereditary? Is it nature or nurture? And I think the movie talks about all of that and then some. So let's kind of get into the film. I mean, let's start with the beginning. The movie is incredibly disturbing at the very beginning. That is one of the weirdest funerals I've ever seen in my life. She, I mean, she says very bizarre things about her mother. Uh, you know, she's surprised at the the people that have turned up today. Well, she doesn't know anyone um, either. That her mother keeps private family, you know, private um, gatherings. She has private uh, meetings, you know, just lead, led a very private life, so. It, yeah, and actually it's funny, you know, I, I think when you're watching the film, uh, Ari Aster, or Ari, Ari Aster, I'm sorry, um, gives you clues along the way to resolve, figure out the ending. But I, I, I noticed them, but they weren't, like, logged, like, oh, this is a clue. Check, check, check. He does other things that I think are clues, and sometimes I think it's a little clunky, but it's his first film. Um, but for the most part, I think overall, story-wise, I, I think it's really well done, that opening scene hmm. with the funeral. You do kind of, it does kind of set the stage for an awkward, um, for an awkward start. You feel a little uneasy about, uh, about the mother and about her family and... Yeah, and you you feel there's there's some there's, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of love between the four of them. No, ever. No, I'm no, afraid. and I wonder why. Um, except maybe the end, maybe the very end, there is some love, and I do feel the passion. But that we'll get to that later. Um, I want to talk about, of course, what the mom does for a living. She's an artist, and she creates these like creepily realistic dioramas why a, a meticulous very meticulous detail. stunningly gorgeous and she's working on this huge thing but it's kind of frightening that she does these things that are like she does her grandmother's funeral mm-hmm. she brings up the fact that her grandmother tried to breastfeed her daughter mm-hmm. she puts that in it's like wow like it's incredibly raw mm-hmm. Which is funny, because other than that, Annie, who's played by Tony Collette, which we'll talk about a little more in depth in a minute, that character does not share things with her family. She's incredibly secretive, even about sometimes where she's going. She doesn't want to talk about her emotions, but she puts them all out there in her art. Interesting. Just an interesting idea. Um, and then the other one, uh, Gabriel Byrne plays her husband, who is such a nice guy, I don't even remember his name. And it's not that Gabriel Byrne isn't good in the film. He actually is great in the film. But I think you're not really supposed to. Like, he's just such background. He's so vanilla in the film. Like, as a character, because I think he's... That's who he is as a human being. And he tries to take over, but you could just tell you he's weak a little bit. And I think that was intentional. So. Yeah, I do too. Kind of believe, yeah. And then the children. You know, um, Charlie... Uh, yeah, not, um, Charlie is played by Millie Shapiro, this is her first film, and she was in Broadway on Matilda, 
Um, <laughs> well, I, we'll discuss a little bit more, but she's clearly a disturbed child. I don't, you know, she cuts off heads of birds, she makes creepy toys, she sleeps in the treehouse, and, and they're in Utah somewhere, and it's clearly not summer. It's like fall or spring. She has to have a heater in the... Right, just a heater. And she barely has conversations with anybody, more than a sentence, and it feels like you're bothering her, and she's in her own zone. And then their other son, Peter, you know, is just like your pretty atypical teenager and just wants to smoke pot and hang out with girls and go to parties. Although he, his relationship with his mom is still, even at the very beginning, and there just seems to be some issues with him. Mm-hmm. So the grandmother dies. It's clear that nobody is really, except maybe Charlie, although you don't really know, is really sad about their grandmother dying. Mm-hmm. Including her own daughter. But specifically her own daughter. And so she goes to a grief counseling center. And what may be the only funny scene of the film <laughs> is when she recounts, you know, the story of her mom and how, and her whole family, <laughs> they are the most messed up group of people. <laughs> Probably in just the shock. I mean, the list of family, like, uh, of ailments and... Uh... This person, you know, hung themselves, and this person did this, and this person, uh, you know, quit taking their medication, and, you know, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like the whole list, and, and everyone's sitting around in the circle at, you know, grief counseling and going, oh, maybe I'm not doing so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure a couple of them are like, you know, I'm okay. And it's just so, the way she delivers it is so matter-of-factly, and like, it's not a big deal, you know what I mean? But it is, like... Very nonchalant. Do you you need to go to therapy? So, you know, that scene is really funny. And then the film, I mean, it meanders a little bit between kind of what's going on in their personal lives and how, you know, the mom, when she goes to the group therapy session, says she's going out to a movie, she lies. And, you know, the daughter, you know, she's cutting off heads of creatures and isn't communicating. And the son is just doesn't want to deal with his mom. You know, the dad's just there to make it, trying to make everyone happy. Well, then the first real shock of the film happens. And that is the death of a major character. Did you see it coming? No. Not at all. Even the way it happens is... I, I, I mean, I was talking about it with somebody at work, and this girl, she loved him, and we were just talking about how, sh- excuse me, how shocking that scene was. And how nobody was expecting it. And how, like, I gasped. I gasped. So, basically what happens is, they go to, you know, her, her son wants to go to a party. Like, one of the high school parties. And the mom's like, you know, and he's kind of lying to his mom, telling her, oh, it's a school party. So she's like, well, I got stuff to do. Bring along the, you know, Charlie. Charlie's driving me nuts. Bring her along. Yeah, she really wanted to be, like, not distracted. She wanted to be able to do her work. And not be distracted. And maybe put off her job as a mom, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, so, you know, they go to the party, and the daughter, of course, is a, and Charlie is just left. You know, 12-year-old at high school party. Just, and it's very random. Like, only nobody notices her. They, just, they don't even know who she really is. Like, I, I'm shocked that nobody, like, why is she here? But they don't do that. And so she's left to her own devices, and she decides to have some cake. Well, as we found out at the beginning of the film, she is definitely allergic to nuts. And as we and it's like Chekhov's law, they even bring it up. Hey, do you have our Epi pen? We didn't bring it. You know what I mean? And and uh, they have walnuts there, and so a little convenient. That's maybe a tad convenient, but hey, whatever. Um, and then 
she eats the cake and of course goes into asphyxiation Mm -hmm. and then the brother responds as I mean as you would expect any like brother in a situation to respond uh you know they rush to the car immediately and they um he's trying to get her to either I believe to the emergency room yeah one of the two so you know they go speeding quickly down the highway and they uh, see a deer there's a deer and her head's out the window because she can't breathe and he swerves and he decapitates well she's decapitated with a light post it's shocking I mean she's a 12 year old girl and it's shocking you don't see a lot of 12 year old kids getting killed in movies let alone from a light post and they are decapitated now what happens afterwards that's when the film I think starts to clearly dive into horror and she meets, um, she goes back to, you know, this time Annie is not okay with what happened. Mm. She's deeply, deeply upset. And she can't even go into the grief counseling. That's how upset she is. And that's when she meets Ann Dowd. Well, I mean, let's roll back just a minute to, um, you know, the fact that, that the son goes directly home, doesn't say anything... Um, he's in such shock. He's in such shock. Oh, he God. goes straight to his room. Um, they, the parents discover it the next morning. You hear the mom scream. You hear the I, mom scream. I have to say, I, I understand the shock. I still don't know if I totally buy it. I, I don't know if that lasts. Here's my biggest issue. Why were the cops... Like, Nobody reports it. Right, and I'm not sure... And I've heard some people talk about the film, whether maybe it was all... We don't seem to have, like, a funeral... No, they do have a funeral for it. They do. Mm-hmm. Remember, that's that scene where she's bawling and she, like, mm-hmm. it pans down into the dirt. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. But I agree with you, though, about that. That scene right afterwards... I mean, I understand his reaction. I just don't... It, that seems a little bit... That's where one of the few times I think the film falters and there's a hole or two in the plot. I would have liked maybe them to fill that. They have no problem. I mean, this movie is not short. It's over two hours long. They have no issue... You know, going into deep diving into other things. I don't know why they didn't really want to go into this part. Um, and I've heard some people say they don't believe, maybe it's not all really happening, but I, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if that film could possibly, but I, I find it hard to believe. Um, so yeah, she goes to grief counseling and she meets Joan, mm-hmm. played by Ann Dowd. Excellent. I love Ann Dowd. If anyone hasn't seen a movie called Compliance, you should watch it. She plays this manager, she's fantastic in it. She's a great actress. Also going to put you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, another movie. We'll talk, we may have to talk about that one, because that's a shockingly... It's a dark movie. Dark movie, but it's shocking, and we'll discuss that later. But Ann Dowd is great in this film, and she plays another person in grief counseling and introduces Annie to the seance to maybe connect with her and maybe, you know, help her with her grief over her daughter. And what I think is the best sustained scenes in the film. Well, they drop hints along the way that that she knew that maybe she was associated with her mother. Maybe, but they, they do it subtly mm-hmm. where you probably aren't picking up on it. I didn't pick up on it right away. I didn't think she was evil. Mm. But we'll find. We'll talk a little more about that. I didn't believe she was evil either. But we, she is. <laughs> <laughs> um, that seance scene, the first scene where she introduced seance she asks Annie to come with her. And it's this is when I realized we have a real talent on our hands by Ari Aster. I mean, truthfully, this is well-written stuff right here. 
that seance scene, the way it's directed, the way it's shot, the cinematography in the film, by the way, the cinematography in the entire film is beautiful. It has this stunning, like, midnight blue landscape throughout most of the film, and it just, it looks amazing. It looks like you're in, like, some storm. And the way he shoots most of Utah, I think, is gorgeous. And I think it was actually shot in Utah. Dramatic color changes. Right. From, like, night to day. Is yeah, like, and it's, that's... it's really great. But it's, that's real life, you know? You look different at night as you do in the daytime. Um, so she goes to the ha- apartment to look at the seance. To, or to look at the seance. See what it is. And what I loved about that scene is the first seance we see with Anne Dowd's character is almost... It was heartwarming a little bit. You feel like she's so happy to be connecting with her grandson and... You know, he's writing on the chalkboard, and which was clearly, it was obviously done with a stop motion animation. Um, it's really cool looking, but you could definitely tell a little trick there. But regardless, still really great. And Annie is horrified and doesn't know what to think about this situation and is bawling and is, she's scared and she doesn't understand it. And, you know, they use this like faux Ouija with the glass and it's almost like a Ouija board, but definitely, you know, a little more like. For those who can't afford a Ouija board, Ouija on a budget. Um, I will never buy a Ouija board, even though I don't believe in that stuff. It's just more about, uh, why invite crap like that? Why? It was just, um, it, on her side, you know, on the grandmother's side, she seemed, just seemed very warm and like, it was a very like healing connection for her between her and her grandson and really just trying to sell Annie on... You know, like, this is the the way to connect with Charlie and, and to um, to be at peace about everything. So Good choice for it, Sal. Because at the end, she does kind of push it on her. And that is the first time where I noticed something was a little off with her, was after that sandwich. She's like, just, I got this paper here. Like, it was just very, like, do it, do it. It's okay, but, but I mean, she acted like a real human being, but there's definitely, like, Okay, she's clearly freaked out. Why are you giving her all the stuff? Mm-hmm. So Annie does do it after having a terrible dream. And what I really like about the film, and one of the things I think that maybe audiences didn't care for, is that Annie is most likely not a good mom. <laughs> um, she really, she probably, I, I doubt how much love she has for each child. And I do think there's a sense of resentment towards her children. <laughs> Um, and one of the reasons they have resentments towards her is, I guess, she slept walk and tried to light them on fire. <laughs> I guess. When she says that to Joan, I was, I mean, that's a shock. But that's your first sign of, does she really, she's like, I, I wasn't, I'm not crazy, I was just sleepwalking. She's really trying to explain it to herself mm-hmm. and make it okay. And it's clear that she may have psychological issues. And the fact that she ignores some of Charlie's before she dies, maybe own psychological issues... I think is proof that you know, she may never really wanted to be a mother and was not interested. Um, but to talk about the, you know, so I, I think that's a really great dichotomy because Joan does seem like a loving person, Joni. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we get to Annie's seance with her family, the, you know, from that heartwarming, almost sweet scene with Joni and her grandmother to uh, the complete opposite terrifying disturbing dark why are you doing this this is a mistake and that's when the film kicks it into high gear now a lot of people i guess had difficulty with the ending Mm -hmm. 
and wanted it explained. I mean, I've seen like 12. Well, that's another example. Their seance, actually, a lot of the the lighting and the mood mm-hmm. and that they really related that to you. He did a really good job directing that. You really felt um, just disturbed to even be watching that that time with and, that family. And there wasn't that much different happening in this. I mean, both scenes, something moves, you know, there's mm-hmm. drawings, there's, you know, but how the lighting, the acting, the differences of people change. And just, it's simple. It's subtle things that work in that film. I think more than the bigger stuff. Um, the end. We do need to discuss the end. And I think the ending of the film is probably what most people are the most... I mean, the movie really does go there. It pushes every button you you have. and it. And what I do like about horror movies is when they don't, you know... They don't go, oh, it's we need to be safe. And this movie is not safe. And the fact that it pushes all the way to the dark, bitter, bitter, bitter end, I think was one of the reasons people didn't like it. I mean, the scenes where, <sighs> where we figure out really what's going on in this movie, you know, and we'll figure out what is really all this, this whole thing about. And, you know, I, I think it disappointed people, general audiences a little bit. I heard some critics thought that their last 30 minutes were pretty terrible, too. Some of them did. They thought it was too over-the-top and generic. I don't think it's generic. I do think it's over-the-top. And that scene where she's, like, dental flossing her head. Um, that probably should loop into your scariest scene. Yeah. Would that be your scariest scene? I, that's not the scariest. It's definitely the most horrific. Yeah, um, definitely. Although, actually, no, I would choose a more horrific scene than that. But anyways, but that whole ending and then the explanation is done so quickly, though. We get so much exposition in the last five minutes that I, I think that actually deteriorates a little bit from the film because I do think it's a little... I would have preferred a little more ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Maybe if it just ended with um, Anne Dowd's character crowning Peter. Um, you know, And I think the performances by Nat Wolf, who plays Peter, who was last seen in Jumanji, the new Jumanji. Mm-hmm. He was before The Rock became The Rock. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, the only thing I would have personally taken out of it was the explanation at the end, to yeah. let people... Let people put the crown on his head and end it. Mm-hmm. Don't give me that whole. Don't give me the whole dialogue at the end. Although there's a lot of weird naked people, like it follows too. I noticed that was something that as, the, as they were headed towards the yeah, it's very like creep gross naked scene. people. <laughs> uh, so okay, uh, what do you think is the most memorable scene in the film? Not the scariest or the grossest, most memorable. Oh. Well, I mean, probably the seances are definitely... They're definitely when the film kicks in. I think kicks in. Oh, yeah. I'm going to 100% agree with you on that. What's the most most gross or horrific or scariest? Oh, it's definitely when when the mother is is sawing her through her neck with a piano wire. She's hanging from the rafters. I mean... And she just has that face where she's just very... Very demonized and just like she's not she's not with it Uh, and for me actually the most horrific scene is when we see Charlie's head on their pagan demon stick thing and there's Mm. it's just you realize was Charlie the demon the whole time and 
that's why she had to die and it starts to make you rethink the whole film and it's just it's such a ooh, I mean killing a 12 year old is pretty tasteless and it, I mean not that horror needs to be tasteful but it really shouldn't be actually but I mean that idea of that and just to end with that that's the last thing you see is yeah um, and I should say the movie is not overtly gory. There are scenes of graphic violence, but overall I think the film is, it's fine. Now, who would you recommend this to? I'd recommend this to everybody. Oh, you would. I liked it. I did. I mean, no, I liked it a lot too. I'm shocked you'd recommend it to everybody. Would you maybe let them know though that the trailer, you know, it's a good trailer, it won't give anything away, but you need to expect less jump scare and more psychological. Absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be a lot more build. It's going to be a lot more, yeah, absolutely a lot more psychological build. So what's your star rating then? Um, I give this three stars. So you recommend it? I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because I got lost in the film. You know, like, I, I was fully um, invested in the film while we were watching it. I lost, you know, all sense of time and everything. And I think that that's a good um, tell of, uh, you know, how much in a movie engages me, so. No, I agree with you. Even though it's a little long and I do think it meanders a tad, I do think for the most part it, it is engrossing and I was interested the whole way through. I give it three and a half out of four. I give it a little higher recommendation than you. I Like I said, this is a movie that's so new. I can see it moving up and down this list within a year or two or so. Mm-hmm. So take this with a grain of salt. 64 with a star by it. Um, but my biggest issue is, I said, I, I think the ending could use be a tad more ambiguous. And I think, you know, there's certain plot holes, like the cops not being called, specifically when the Charlie dies, that I think you know, take you a little bit out of the film and you start wondering, is this real or is this not? And if so, why has that been hinted at more? I would have to watch it again to, to be able to pick apart of some more of the flaws, because I always love to pick up a little bit of, uh, you know, plot holes or uh, <laughs> interesting flaws. Or if the door was open. If that door was open, <laughs> not closed. I do, them. that makes me crazy. It if makes you got to reset Someone... a scene, you got to reset a scene to follow exactly through. <laughs> so. All right. Okay, uh, so. I'm curious to see what he comes out with with Ari, Ari Aster. Yeah, I am too. I don't think it'll be horror, honestly. I don't. For, but who knows? Um, you know. Curious to see what he rolls out next. Well, speaking of first-time directors, our next film on the list will also be by a first-time director, Jennifer Kent. And actually, it's funny. We're talking about two films that have, I think, similar um, concepts and similar I- philosophical ideals. And The Duck is next. Um, especially if we talk, want to talk about motherhood. The Babadook has a lot to say about mom and son, mom Baba. and child. Baba. And Babadook, you know, is now like the new queer icon. I don't understand that. Have you noticed that? I saw it on some like LGBT, like people are like the Babadook LGBT. Pr- yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I don't understand it because I, I don't I remember read. you don't say the name. Baba. <laughs> so we'll be talking about Baba Duck next week and until then I am QC and I'm Big J and we'll be signing out and we'll see you guys next week Baba. bye bye